Have you ever been reading a story, a book, uh, and it's really, really good, but maybe you were really into it and it's getting really late at night and your will to finish it and your body's need for sleep are at, at contrast, right? And you're starting to fall asleep and you're like, I just want to keep reading because I want to know what happens next. Or you're reading a book and you have an important appointment or something coming up and you have to stop reading, but you really just want to know what happens next. I recently was finishing a 10-book series Some of you may know, when I like to read fiction, I like to read these epic, very lengthy fantasy novels. Surprise, right? So I was finishing up a 10-book series, each of them about a 1,000 pages. It's like an enormous amount of words. It took me six years. I'm a very slow reader. They're long books, and I'm a slow reader. Six years. So basically, since most of you have known me, I've been reading that series. I was on the last little bit of the very last book of that series about a month ago. I mean, six years working up to this moment, and I'm sitting there, and it is already way too late. I mean, we're talking like 1 o'clock. We're in bed at like 10 every night, but this was like 1 o'clock because I was just trying to get to the end, and I am nodding off. I'm like, I must know what happens next and how this ends. And maybe you've been there before. You get so captivated, you just have to know, how does this all end? Well, if you were here last week, and if you've been exploring Christianity for any amount of time, you may know that the most amazing story of all time happens to be a true story. It happens to be a real-life story. It happens to be the historical account of the most incredible events in the universe. We celebrated the culmination of that great grand account last week on Easter That the tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is alive. Death is defeated. Sin is gone. Salvation secured and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. That's the culmination of the greatest story, real story of all time. But it is not the end. So I often think about those folks who only show up to church on Christmas and Easter. They're just like, he was born and he came back again. And that's it. And there's a whole lot that they miss out on. And so, so, so that's what we're talking about today. What happens next? I want to give you a quick overview. And then we're going to ground ourselves in Acts 1. After Jesus was resurrected, defeated death, he has a lot of appearances. He appears to Mary, as, as Allison read last week, and she thought he was the gardener, and he simply says, Mary, and then she recognizes him in the intimacy of knowing her name and sharing that moment and seeing that. He appears to the disciples when they were behind locked doors praying, and he just appears before them. A week later, he appeared to Thomas, who was seeking the truth and then found the truth. As he appeared to him, he appeared to the disciples on the shore after they had gone back to fishing, gone back to what they knew before Jesus, and he met them there. And we also know he reinstates Peter for his denials and calls Peter to his great work ahead of him. He appears to Cleopas and his companion on the road to Emmaus, and he he shares all the good news of what Jesus Christ has done, he himself had done, and it wasn't until the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened and they saw that he was the risen Savior of the Lord. 
he appeared to many times, many times, in many places, as the scriptures say, giving many proofs to his resurrection. And then he gives his great commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. In fact, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's how the book of Matthew ends, is with this great commission. A lot of new believers often will start to read their Bibles at Matthew. They start in the New Testament. They heard the Old Testament's kind of got some stuff in it. And so let's start, start something a little more accessible, right, with the gospel, which is a good place to start. And you'll read Matthew, and you'll read the Great Commission. And if you don't know how the Bible's structured, you'll turn the page to Mark, and then it's talking about the birth of Jesus again. It's like, what's going on? Just read about this guy. So you get to the end of Matthew, and it leaves you wondering, well, what happens next? Thankfully, Acts picks up the thread of what goes on. And this is actually Acts 1. We know Acts was written by the same author of, of Luke, and that, that it's a continuation of the gospel story. And so Acts 1 takes place during the same time as the Great Commission. This is what it says. The disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? As you know, they thought Jesus was coming to, to take his rightful place as king and to turn the tides and they would have a royal standing on earth in this earthly kingdom. But Jesus had a different way about it. So Jesus said to them, it's not, it's not for you. It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The Great Commission. Jesus tells them, tells us, make disciples of all nations. Tell the good news of Jesus Christ as they too come to believe. Baptize them into this community. Teach them. Train them. Build them up in the very ways that I have taught you. You do not do this alone. For I, Jesus, am with you always from now and forevermore. And I know you are eager for Israel to be restored. I know you expected my kingship to look different, but trust me, you need not know the details that only my Father has. Trust. Trust. And in the meantime, you will not be alone. The Holy Spirit is coming. The very Spirit that conquered the grave shall live within you and will be with you for the rest of your days. And with that very death-defying power, you will be my witnesses as you go and make disciples. And those are the very last words of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as he ascended back into 
his heavenly home, back to heaven where he took his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, if this were a made-up fairy tale or a fictional account, that would be such an exclamation point to end this story on, wouldn't it? It's a powerful ending. But it's not the end. For God was not yet done. Jesus ascends, but his work continues. In fact, the next chapter of God's great true story is the beginning of the church, which he trained up, which he sent out, which he built and began the moment that Jesus ascends. Now, historically, scholars and theologians often mark Pentecost as the birth of the church, but I really see Jesus' ascension as like the soft launch, all right? Because there was some work to be done, and Jesus just left. Let's take a look at what happens, picking up from verse 9 in Acts 1. So after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going. When suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking up to the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I really love the image of the disciples looking heavenward. They look up. They see nothing but a cloud where just moments before they got their last glimpse of their Savior, their Messiah, their friend. It was just over a month prior to this that they had mourned his passing and then have been astounded by his return as they celebrated joyously. And now they stand knowing Jesus has gone home. And they know the rest of their lives will be different. Can you imagine the emotion they were carrying in that moment? Can you even consider what they might be feeling and thinking? Gratitude, sadness, all of that. And it's in that space, as they look up, carrying all those emotions that the angels show up. And we see angels show up throughout the Bible, don't we? But I find it interesting that in this experience, uh, the angels do not start what they're going to say by saying, do not be afraid. Almost always when an angel shows up in Scripture, they begin by saying, don't be afraid, do not fear. But they don't say it here. Now, we don't know exactly why, but I'd like to wonder and ponder about this. Maybe the disciples are too focused on the moment of what's happening. Maybe they're too caught up. Maybe there was more sadness in them than fear. Or perhaps they have slowly begun to understand, to get used to the miraculous. Perhaps they even expected it as the veil between the physical and the spiritual realm had been pulled back. And then those words that the angel give. They simply say, why do you stand there looking at the sky? 
same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That is such a gift of grace to reassure these disciples that they will see Jesus again. But I also wonder, if the angels did not appear, how long would those disciples be standing there looking up? Just looking up. It's kind of like if you ever experience a truly marvelous sunset. Sun goes past the horizon. The colors are still there. Eventually the colors fade, and yet you still stand there, and you look out at the horizon, trying to capture that beauty of that moment in your memory for all time, to lock it into place. I wonder how long they would be looking up if the angels didn't come. It's not expressly stated, but I wonder if the angels' appearance and words have another purpose as well. I almost see it as this, that in addition to being a comfort, that they say, yes, he really is going to heaven. And what did Jesus just command you to do? You got some work to do. So now get to work. Because that's exactly what they did. Look at what happens picking up in verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. It's a Sabbath day walk from the city. If you're like me, you would want to Google, how far is a Sabbath day walk? Because I have no idea what that means. And so I did. And it is five-eighths of a mile. It's the allowable amount of space you're allowed to travel during the Sabbath. You're not supposed to leave your, your home. And so they said within that realm, you could walk. So it was actually a short walk. I thought it was a long walk. It's actually a short walk, five-eighths of a mile. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James, not the same as Judas Iscariot. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The first act of those that made up the Christian faith after Jesus' ascension was prayer. This was modeled after what Jesus had taught them, but also what Jesus had lived. Jesus' ministry began with communion with God through prayer as he was tempted in the wilderness. And the disciples here gather to constantly be in prayer as a community. It's in the church's DNA. We are a praying people. I'm also pretty certain that the disciples had no idea what to do after Jesus left. Make disciples of all nations? Well, where do we start? Teaching them everything you taught us. You taught us a lot, Jesus. Where do we begin? Uh, Kyle's in the sound booth. He'll resonate with this. You remember that first time you go on a solo drive after getting your license? You've watched people drive your whole life. You've seen it happening, and then you're even trained up. You have a permit. You're guided. You're directed. All this stuff. You, you, you pass a test that proves you are ready for this, even if your parents may not think you are, right? <laughs> and then you're sent out. That first solo drive, that's a scary thing, no matter how prepared you are. You're all of a sudden out there on your own. I wonder if that's how the disciples felt here. 
I bet on that short walk from uh, back to Jerusalem, they talked at great length. What do we do now? And came up with no worthwhile solutions. They probably felt the immense weight that they felt to carry on the mission of Jesus without Jesus there to tell them what to do. And yet Jesus had just told them he was with them always. And so they did what they saw their master do countless times. They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed some more, and then they kept on praying. When you don't know what to do, what do you do? You pray. When your head's swarming with a million thoughts and no solutions, what do you do? You pray. And when you gather together as God's people, what do we do? We pray. And so they prayed, and out of that prayer, they received clarity on what to do next. Look at what it says in 15. We're going to read 15 through 17, and then we'll go to 21 through 22. In those days, so not immediately, in those days, meaning they kept on praying as their main focus for an undisclosed amount of time, maybe an hour, maybe two, maybe two weeks, Peter stood up among the believers. That's a group now numbering about 120. And they said, he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. Now moving on to 21, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. So beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so if you keep on reading, you'll see they move forward seeking God's will, and Matthias is chosen to fill the apostolic role previously held by Judas. This is the first act of the disciples, the prayer and then this work. And I really appreciate what Peter does, what he does when he stands up. First, he acknowledges the grief of what their former, their friend Judas had done. Remember that it's easy to really uh, uh, demonize Judas for betraying the Lord. But let's also acknowledge he was a friend. He was a disciple. He had lived on mission for three years with this folk of people here. And yes, he did hand Jesus over. Peter does not gloss over that fact. He also even names it was necessary for God's purposes and that it had shaped who, what, what God was doing. It was all an important part of the story. And he says that he was one of our number. He shared in our ministry. He was a part of us. They don't wipe his name from the record books, despite how hard it is to acknowledge his betrayal. So it's an opportunity to grieve, to name the hard reality, but then to not shirk away from the work ahead of them. So they conduct the business of a church in a God-honoring and prayer-saturated way, the same way that all uh, Christ-honoring churches seek to conduct their business. And so they move forward. And what we see, what happens next following the resurrection is Jesus Christ is still doing what Jesus does. Only this time it is him working 
through the disciples, through his church, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we stand here, or sit here, today eager and expectant as we say to God, what happens next? Because this is his church. We are his people. We are seeking his path. We're seeking his plan. We're seeking his will. And we go to him for our direction. He may only give us a word. He might only give us a sentence, a paragraph, or a page at a time. We know he won't give us the full script as Jesus' last words remind us. But through prayer, submission, and obedience, Jesus' mission will move forward through us. The truth of God's never-ending story of his grace winning over the world is still unfolding here and now. It is the best story ever told, and it is a true story, and it is our story as Easter people. So we have an important role to play. That's the beauty. God's invited us in to be a part of what happens next. And we go about doing that in the same way these disciples did. For we're a continuation of that same people. So we pray. We seek God's leading. We long to love Jesus. To love others like Jesus. To live like Jesus. And to lead others into a living relationship with him. And we do so not on our own power, but with the Holy Spirit in us, the same Spirit of God that conquered the grave. When we ask what happens next, we invite Jesus into every area, every corner, every nook and cranny of our lives. So together we will seek God as we step forward to discover just what happens next. Because we know it's going to be extraordinary. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for inviting us to be a part of your incredible work in this world. We thank you that you are still at work, and in fact, you're at work in so many miraculous ways that we can't even fathom what you are up to. And God, you have equipped each and every one of us with gifts, with abilities, with a unique uh, a mixture of ways that we can serve and worship and honor you and move your story forward. So as we consider this question, what happens next, we say thank you for letting us have a part to play. We say, Spirit, inspire and encourage us to move forward and to follow your leading. Lord, we long for this broken world to proclaim the goodness of our Lord, the everlasting hope that can only be found in you, that our Savior willingly died for us so that we might live and he lives again so we can live forever. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.